Welcome to the Sullivan and Cromwell Energy M&A Trends podcast series. With me today are my partners, George Sampas and Werner Allers. George and Werner are partners in the M&A group, and they focus on energy and natural resources. Today, we will be discussing some of the trends that we're seeing in the energy space. As we focus on the policy changes coming from the Biden administration, together with just industry trends that were already uh, taking place, they're clearly going to affect M&A activity in oil and gas and other traditional and transitional energy sources. How has oil and gas M&A fared so far in 2020 and now in the first few months of 2021? Well, I certainly think the last half of 2020 and moving into 2021 is a, a story of a significant rebound. Just to take January of 2021, for example, large-scale oil and gas M&A got off to a significantly strong start with a pair of large acquisitions by New Fortress Energy for both Hygo Energy Transition and Golar LNG partners, which together represented the acquisition of four large LNG terminals, one operating and three in stages of development. What are some of the expectations for oil and gas M&A for the rest of 2021? What should we be looking for? Frank, I think what you're going to see is there will be consolidation on a basin-by-basin basis, but there are likely to be transactions where there are clear synergies, where there are more share-for-share rather than cash. I think the excessive lending to the fracking companies that led to abysmal returns for investors, for companies, will not be repeated, at least until people forget about the lessons of the past. The other thing, and this is just going in a different direction, but if you look at the activity in the electric vehicle space, whether it's cars or it's planes, And you couple that with the SPAC transactions that we've been seeing over the last few months, the activity, I think, is not going to be so much in the oil and gas sector, but people are going to be looking for ways to deploy capital to take advantage of this wall of cash that is coming to the high-tech electric vehicle world. So there will be consolidations, there'll be tuck-ins, but you're not, and I'm happy to be proven wrong, but I I don't think you're going to see sort of new capital, new debt used to pay for acquisitions in the oil and gas sector unless the returns are compelling. I completely agree with that, particularly in the upstream sector. I, I suppose the one thing I'd add is that when you look at midstream, As we've already discussed, there's going to be some headwinds there for new midstream development, given the increased scrutiny that both the Biden administration and ESG perspectives by investors are going to bring to pipelines and LNG terminals, et cetera. But even with the projected reduced demand growth for traditional fossil fuels over time, 
midstream assets may continue to have substantial long-term strategic value given their potential for alternative uses, including transporting biofuels, carbon dioxide, hydrogen, et cetera, which may be some time away in the future, but at least they provide a platform for transitioning into alternative fuels that can be invested in right now. And I think that's evidenced by how we've continued to see a number of mega deals in the midstream sector throughout 2020. Six of the nine largest deals involved institutional and non-oil and gas buyers focused primarily on gas and LNG. So for example, in LNG, Blackstone Energy Partners sold its 42% stake in Chenier Energy Partners to Brookfield and Blackstone Infrastructure Partners for 13.7 billion in August. KKR acquired 20% of SEMPRA's restructured infrastructure assets, which consists largely of LNG export infrastructure mm. in the U.S. and Mexico, as well as renewable operations and natural gas infrastructure in Mexico. And I, and I think that that is just an evidence that in the midstream sector, there's going to be continued interest, particularly by some of the financial investors to do deals there and establish a foothold in assets that are both strategic, but also provide you know, a long-term steady cash flow. Couldn't agree more. Because new capital investments for energy, as we saw with the pipeline, being they won't grow, they won't be built because of environmental and ESG concerns, the value of the ones that are already up and running is going to continue to grow. Clearly, the Biden administration is moving energy policy in a different direction from the prior administration. That, in many ways, is consistent with what industry trends already were and is consistent in a lot of ways with the corporate governance focus on ESG. How do you think that's going to play out for the M&A markets in oil and gas and LNG and other transitional energy sources in 2021? Well, you mentioned ESG generally. I mean, I, I think, you know, it's, it's worth spending a bit of time on that because I think, you know, quite apart from the Biden administration focus, which will only accelerate things, the increasing focus on ESG by investors is undoubtedly already having a significant effect on deal making. The pressures being felt throughout the U.S. oil and gas value chain, including LNG, and with, of course, the upstream sector facing the most scrutiny for its impacts on the environment. But in midstream generally and LNG in particular, which had previously avoided the brunt of ESG scrutiny levied at the energy industry, that's started to change because of recent spills, methane leaks, that have become a concern, uh, you know, as noted by the temporary suspension of the Dakota Access Pipeline, and even as massive shale infrastructure build-out nears its end, stakeholders are pushing for uniform reporting of incident spills and emissions across those operators. And in LNG, pressure is also mounting for more transparency in emission reporting, reductions in methane leakage, and sustainable practices in sourcing natural gas. There's already been some industry responses to this. LNG buyers have focused on sustainability in various respects, and BP recently sold cargoes of green LNG, quote, green LNG into Europe, and, and Shell offset emissions from cargoes sold into South Korea and Japan. 
Similarly, reporting is becoming important as operators and LNG carriers such as Chenier and Flex LNG recently produced their first ESG and corporate responsibility reports. That's all changing industry practices, but I, I think for M&A purposes, the, the important thing to note, which is related to the ESG story too, is that it's, it's also creating a story of changes in capital availability, which are likely to continue to become an increasing factor because of accelerating trends of investor commitments to the net zero target goals. So in general, even though debt has almost never been cheaper, and for the moment is expected to stay that way, there's this specific capital availability story in the oil and gas industry that's playing out, resulting from, among other things, a growing number of banks and PE firms becoming signatories of the collective commitment to climate action. The UN has convened the Net Zero Asset Owner Alliance, which is comprised of institutional investors with over $5 trillion of assets under management, and major global corporations are also announcing carbon neutral targets as part of their ESG programs. So over time, you know, even though it's clearly not immediate, but over time, this, this is leading to what may become a major reallocation of capital, which is undoubtedly going to have a significant effect on which mergers and acquisitions get done in the industry. Just to add to that, on the capital availability side, let's just go back a few years uh, on the coal side. What we saw was the key investment banks telling the world that they were not going to finance transactions, at least in the steam coal space, the energy coal. That also had fallout for companies looking to do transactions in the met coal space. But what it's meant is that at least in most of the world, these banks will not finance new capital projects and they won't want to use their capital or underwrite transactions in the coal space. And that's going to bleed over to oil and natural gas, I think, pretty quickly. As a counter to that, you still have China and India looking to secure their inputs for their industries. And so I I think when you do see acquisitions, they're likely to be outside of the North American European space and it will be generally related to securing those supply chains into China and India. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I think there's going to be some other counters, which are perhaps contrary trends that work to mitigate the capital availability story. I think they'll probably be some lean focused private equity or high net worth investors or strategic sovereign funds and others that may be less subject to pressures and trends in in ESG considerations that target assets and structural decline and look to, particularly in the upstream oil and gas space, maybe thermal coal, nuclear generation, and see opportunities to optimize these legacy assets and still make them viable for quite some time. And this private capital may also look to some high emitting but other economically viable assets that are less sensitive to public reporting requirements or, or social license issues. So that probably has the effect also of increasing M&A in the space because it just means that the investors with an appetite to invest in and allocate their capital for certain assets is just going to shuffle around and these assets are going to trade hands as a result. 
Thank you for listening to SNC Critical Insights. For more information about our practice, please visit us on the web at www.salkram.com. Thank you.